In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Tokenet Radio, Toki Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, part of the Her Insight Network on Toginet. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNenny. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. It is he who shall keep you safe. Psalm 121.7 No one can keep you safer than God, so put your trust in him and stop relying on yourself. Join forces with our strong creator and you will be rewarded for your faithfulness. Good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler and I'm your host, Vivian McNenny. Time for another cup of tea and a little friendly chat on this stormy afternoon. Yesterday, Thursday, was the Feast of the Ascension, 40 days after Easter and only 10 more days before Pentecost. This means there's only one more Sunday in Easter. I'm originally called the seventh Sunday after Easter or the Sunday after Ascension. The Ascension seems to me to be a very low-key event in the Bible. Unlike the crucifixion with pages dedicated to the Passion, His disciples were looking on and he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. That's all we get. Acts 1.10. In Luke, Jesus says to them, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Then he took them to Bethany, blessed them, and was carried up into heaven. That's it. Poor guys didn't quite expect that to happen. They'd only just got him back, but just look at what they went on to do. They obeyed their Lord by staying in Jerusalem for 10 more days. And on Sunday, May 23rd, what used to be called Whitson, we commemorate the descent of the Holy Spirit as tongues of fire upon the apostles' heads. They were accused of being drunk because they could talk to all the foreigners who had converged on the city for the Jewish Harvest Festival. In actuality, they had had tongues loosened by the, they had had their tongues, sorry, loosened by the paraclete. And I've just looked that up, suggested spelling for that word, because I had a little red line under it. And um, the suggestions that came up were ludicrous. Do you find that? I had parolee, which means a person on parole, I suppose, and parrot. It rhymes with parakeet, but not quite the same. Here I am talking about the Holy Ghost, and the dictionary wants me to talk about a brightly colored bird. Well, close, I suppose, if you remember the Holy Spirit did appear as a dove at Christ's baptism. And talking about understanding languages, I've always wondered what it would be like to suddenly understand, but not just only understand, but to speak a foreign language without all the hard work associated with mastering linguistic skills. I tried when I lived abroad with my parents. I'd enter a shop where I knew no one spoke English and listen intently. Shops were fairly easy places I could follow the request being made by the customer because it was usually accompanied by an item going on a scale to be weighed or going into a bag. Big clue as to what had just been asked for. But the complicated stuff of conversations when I was eavesdropping, for example, in a coffee shop were impossible. Needless to say, I wasn't successful at miraculously absorbing the language and I learned all my Arabic the conventional way. 
I had a desk in school and on the playground with my Palestinian friends. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> I've diverted. Where was I? Oh, yeah, Whit Sunday. Fifty days have, will have passed since the magnificent Easter rising of our saviour and our chocolate-filled Easter party. Then we enter the longest and final season of our church year, Pentecost. The vestments are green throughout summer and autumn until the beginning of the new church year at the end of November, when Advent begins the four weeks leading up to Christmas. But we don't want to talk about Christmas in May. Let's talk about spring. My oleander bushes are blooming. The rain is making everything look sparkling green. And my oleander make a sparkling pink backdrop to my pool and will soon start dropping coloured petals into the water. It's been windy, so allergies are in full blast in my house. So excuse me in advance if I sneeze. And I was talking to my mother on the phone this afternoon and she could hear the wind in the trees. She told me all was calm in her garden. I tried to tell her that Oklahoma had had five bad tornadoes this week and we were probably suffering the after effects of the strong winds whipped up by those twisters. But she thought I was talking about Oklahoma the musical and that I was saying stage, not state. So I gave up and talked about my tomatoes instead, which, by the way, are doing really well. I'm going to finish my chapter about popularity and continue with my first introduction into homeschool co-oping called Sharing Ideas and Children. First off, though, the closing pages of popular is only a word unless you're a teenager. Last week, I explored my childhood history of friendships and how I wanted to keep our family units self-contained until my children spoke out boldly about their ideas of how homeschool should be in the McNinney household. I think I became contented with having a few people in my life who were important to me. I wasn't exactly a loner, but I couldn't function very well with too many people around Vine for my attention. With this sparse foundation of friends, some of them questionable, I entered into homeschooling confidently, confident that a family of six would provide more than enough distractions and variety of personalities to satisfy the most gregarious of individuals. Thus began our foray into cave dwelling. My design was to encourage my children to befriend one another. And for those of you with small children, this is both a prudent and far-fetched desire. My children blossomed as friends. They were all two years apart, so they had built-in companionship from the start. They were all... They played games with each other all day when they weren't actually sitting down learning something. I looked upon their developing relationships as learning in the raw. Yes, there was rivalry. I'd be a liar if I didn't admit to that. However, we treated our home, where love abounded unconditionally, at least on the side of us parents, as a life skills arena. The fact that it sometimes resembled the demise of the early Christians in the Circus Maximus wasn't lost on my husband and me. Our philosophy was no bloodshed. If you've ever been a witness to a good old rough and tumble, you'll agree with me that shedding blood would have been a godsend. Not even the infamous whack with the baseball bat up the side of my younger son's head administered, administered while our oldest son was practicing his swings through blood, but he nearly lost his eye. The few rules we developed are upheld to this day. No name-calling, no weapons, no kicking or biting, and the clincher, aimed exclusively at the boys, no hitting girls. We garnered some serious criticism for being unfair on this last issue because we all know that the natural response to a hard thump on the back is to turn around and give a harder thump back. As the boys couldn't do this and it went against all natural instincts inherent in both males and females, the rule was breached countless times and we finally added an addendum to our list. The girls were not allowed to hit the 
boys. And everyone became a rule breaker. As they developed, the words making up the rules became picked over and redefined. What exactly was hitting? Could punches pass the test? Biting took the greatest strides in evolution. It went from illegal, almost blood-drawing clamps on bare skin, to an irritating gnashing of teeth, as if an invisible chocolate were being snatched from the air as it soared past the snapper's nose. A most provocative gesture guaranteed to raise blood pressures. All seemed to be going well. Our wildflower of Eden was blossoming and maturing. Out of the blue came a desire which, like the apple in Eve's hand, that turned temptation into an action, gnawed a hole in my psyche. I was compelled to step outside my cave against my better judgment and venture into a world that would bring others into the confines of my home school. They asked me, why don't we ever do art, Mother? my oldest daughter said. I'd really like to learn how to use watercolours and pastels and maybe even paint on a canvas, she continued. I want to learn how to play football, piped up my younger son, eager to jump on the bandwagon, a vision of outdoor sports blooming as a possible school subject. Could I audition for a play, my oldest wondered. May I have a birthday party and invite all my friends and get lots of presents, my youngest said, in excited anticipation, having witnessed an elaborate affair at the gym the other day. I groaned. It was time for me to wake up and pay attention to my children's needs. They were beginning to see the cracks in their shells and yearning to hatch. The outside world was catching up with me. I had to open my eyes and admit to myself that after a good three years, they had outgrown the cave and needed to be let out. Once I had recovered from the shock that I could no longer be everything for my children at all times, I attacked this new problem with my usual fervor. First of all, I had to beat myself up for not noticing that art was missing from my perfect curriculum, in which, as my helpful friend pointed out, we did too much, and that my outdoor-loving son was feeling claustrophobic in the chalk-filled air of the local gym. I had disregarded the fact that my oldest and boldest sang the harmony line on everything he heard and was able to reenact verbatim scenes from favourite films he was allowed to watch on Friday evenings. How had I miss my social butterfly youngest daughter changing her clothes twice before breakfast? and never ceasing to wow us with the varied combinations she could have contrived from a mere half-dozen articles of clothing. I now knew that I had to find willing homeschool mothers who were experts in their fields and trade my skills of reading and writing for theirs. Art, drama, voice, football, and fashion. Hmm. Where would I go to find these teaching mothers who could enrich a slowly growing family? I say slowly growing because if anyone has had the pleasure sharing every moment of their waking lives without a reprieve with four young children, the minutes and hours just drag by and the day goes on forever, even when you're loving every moment of it. If I was brutally honest with myself, I would have to admit that most of it was mind-numbingly tedious. They seemed to be helpless individuals for years and years, which they were. My blood pressure was continuously in the danger zone, and I had to periodically look up the word patience to remind myself exactly what it meant. Now my children were ages four to ten and my blood pressure was out of the danger zone, I think. It was my heart's turn to take a beating. They were clamoring for outside interruptions and what I called disruptive intrusions, they called welcome distractions. Well, welcome distractions, here I come. My parents had always kept themselves, especially when we were not abroad. There seemed to be this unwritten code that the neighbors were not to be trusted. There was also a non-verbal understanding that our house wasn't good enough. 
We were instructed never to open the door when it was knocked upon and never to pick up the phone when it rang. We had all kinds of coding for these external requests for entrance into our not-so-special lives, and we had to abide by them. The phone was the most complex. Three rings on the phone meant that someone had arrived safely at his or her own destination. This worked brilliantly as long as there was only one person traveling away from the home file. One ring, silence, followed by several rings meant that it was all right to pick up. Safe family member or trusted friend was on the other end. This was successful only as long as the first ring had been heard. Otherwise, it could just as easily be the three ring code of destination achieved. Okay, going to go and have a cup of tea and I'll be back. See you later. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Girlfriended is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The Girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have mm-hmm. somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, Girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. What's your story? Are you living it? Well, you could be. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Her passion is helping others discover, create, and live their personal brands. Yep, you heard me. You have a brand. No different than Coke, Pepsi, or Nike. You are a walking, talking, living, breathing brand. You're not a logo. You're not a tagline. The choices you make become the path you take. This is your brand. Now, live your story. Your brand is not just what you say it is. It's also what others say it is. So what are you communicating? And how can you create an authentic brand? We'll take on these challenges with What's Your Story? Every week, Hillary will feature teens, moms, and organizations that are learning and living their story. Now, her passion is to help others discover, create, and live their personal brands. To find out more, go to inspiredbyfamily.com. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet, part of the Her Insight Network. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Of course, back in the old days and being in England, which is a little bit behind America, we didn't have anything as sophisticated as a telephone extension outside or even a bell we could hear. So if we were in the garden, we couldn't accurately detect the ring with its attendant coding and ran to answer it without any pre-warning as to who it may be. Of course, the phone was on the hall table in the hallway, not convenient to reach from everywhere in the house. So most of the time the caller hung up 
after four or five rings, and we were left wondering who it had been. No answering machines either in those days. Now we come to the front door. Two sharp raps on the metal knocker at four o'clock meant that my brother and I were on the doorstep, having arrived home from school. Three meant some other member of the family or trusted person without a key to the homestead was requesting entrance. Any other type of knock was not to be acknowledged, except by a flicker of the neck curtains as we peeped out to see who it was. Later on, a peephole was installed, which changed the whole ritual of neck curtain fluttering and provided a modicum of peace to the inhabitants of 213 Cavendish Road. Sometimes, however, these knocking sequences backfired. I prepare prepare to give my encoded single sharp rap at four o'clock and my missioned hand would slip, causing it to become a stranger's fumbling knock and not to be allowed admittance. Then I'd have to pause for a respectable amount of time before trying again. Curiously, all this changed when we were abroad. Don't ask me why, but our house was open for all and sundry and a welcome mat was on the front door. Did we suddenly, in the auspices of a highly secret job, become less suspicious if we opened our arms and let all barriers down to everyone, friend or foe, who walked past our front door? Suddenly, my brother and I could just turn the doorknob and we'd have unlimited access to our home. We learned the habit of shouting, Hooey! as we crossed the threshold, anybody home? We never knew who was going to be in our house when we sleepily emerged from our bedrooms in the mornings or arrived home from an afternoon at the beach. It was all very exciting for us as my mother had all sorts of merchants coming and going with deliveries of drinks, fruits and other sweetmeats that she had to keep on hand for the endless cocktail and dinner parties she threw. Life for us during a posting while we were home for the holidays from school was exhilarating. We met new people all the time as contracts came to an end and replacements arrived. We enjoyed many outings with mothers known only by their husband's titles and their children. We're going on a picnic with the first secretary's wife and her children, or we've been invited to a party by the ambassador's wife. The young people we mixed with were collectively referred to as the embassy crowd and belonged to no one in particular. They were distinguished solely by the schools they attended in England, Simon from Harrow, Andrew from Eton, or Victoria from Girton College. My mother entered into the spirit of these intrusions with charm and grace. These were her friends when we were away. They played bridge and mahjong together, drank coffee and cocktails, talked on the telephone. While we were home, they relieved her of some of her maternal duties by including us in their outings and escapades in a foreign country, which at this time was Beirut, Lebanon. My father was always at the office during the busiest times of the day, so my mother accompanied us sometimes to ease the tedium and to show willing, as she put it. She preferred to be at home when my father finished work for the morning and didn't have to return to the office until late afternoon. So for the most part, she gave us over to the embassy crowds and mothers. My brother and I welcomed the intrusions and spent many hours under-supervised, learning a variety of skills, including water skiing, rock climbing at the foot of the Alzor Mountains, picking lemons in the groves along the banks of the Latani River, eating homemade quiches from the boot of an official car, trading chicken for donkey rides up the narrow tracks of the foothills, diving off platforms into Olympic-sized pools at the oil clubs, eating local food, trying the local wine as we got older, learning the Arabic alphabet, and most of all, mixing with people from various generations across the classes without having to worry about whether our house could stand up to the scrutiny. We also became experts at picking up the telephone before it had completed its first ring. Invitations for outings and picnics always came via this instrument. 
and there were many. We had to be deathly ill to even consider declining. We were surprised and pleased to find my mother had learned the art of chatting on the phone for long periods of time. We mercilessly, mercilessly used this to our advantage. When we wanted to ask her if we could do something we knew she'd have to think about, which may mean no, we'd catch her on the phone. Her mood softened and she became magnanimous while talking to her girlfriends. If we had done something to elicit threats and warnings of gatings, the same as groundings in America, pleading with her while she was otherwise engaged on the phone would invariably get those limitations lifted. If the front door became our gateway to the grocery stores, then the telephone kept our fingers on the pulse of the party seen at the embassy. Why our lives were so different between postings remains a mystery to me even to this day. Perhaps it had something to do with the high concentration of the right kinds of people residing in one place. In London, there was no click, if you will. But was that reason enough not to open our front door or answer our telephone? My guest this week is uh, Mike Donnelly. He's a staff attorney for the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, HSLDA, and a director of international relations. Today, Mike and I are going to talk about dads leading the homeschool family and how they can play an active role in the homeschool. We're going to talk about the latest on the Romaiki family, parental rights, and our ability to stay at home with our children if we really want to, even when we think we can't. Are you there, Mike? I'm here, Vivian. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Well, good. Um, Mike, um, as well as being staff attorney for HSLDA, um, you're a gifted speaker on the topic of homeschooling. And um, I would like to ask you a question. Um, how can fathers discover what other good works they can do to influence their families as God calls them to do? Well, you know, it's funny, Vivian. I was just reading a, uh, an article from a British newspaper that said that uh, families work better when dads do the housework. Oh, really? <laughs> Actually, it didn't say that. It said there's fewer divorces when dads do the housework. <laughs> well, I must but, uh, say that my, my husband is a whiz at the vacuum cleaner, so I never have to do that. So, <laughs> Well, I think, you know, for dads who are homeschooling dads, I think there's a, that's part of it right there is having a servant heart. Um, you know, our wives are home uh, all day with our children. And, uh, you know, even if there's just one child in the home being homeschooled, it's very demanding. It's a, it's a very demanding uh, calling to be a homeschooling mom. And, you know, in most homeschooling families, there are more than one child. You've got four, five, six, and much more than that. We have six children from age 2 to 13. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that uh, part of my job is to help support my wife in a number of different ways. So, you know, as a father, as a Christian homeschooling father, I'm called to be the leader of the home spiritually and, uh, and, and help provide that direction. Uh, and we certainly need to do that spiritually, but I think physically we also need to help support our wives by doing some of the things that, um, you know, in, you might otherwise expect traditionally that women would do. For example, in my home, uh, my wife doesn't do the grocery shopping. I do. And I'll do it at odd times. Um, I'll do it in the morning at 6 o'clock after I've been at the gym, or I'll do it in the evening after everyone else is tucked into bed. Because that's a very difficult job for a mom with six children to do on any given day. How do you, you know, do that, drag six kids around the supermarket? You certainly can, and there's certainly lots of learning opportunities, you know, having your children in the supermarket. But, you know, we've decided in our home that's one way that I try to take some burden from my wife. Uh, You know, I also do help with the housework as well. 
Uh, you know, and so those are some physical things, I think, that as dads we can look at opportunities where we can take some burdens that our wives would otherwise have to shoulder and lift them off their shoulders physically. Um, spiritually, I think it's also important for dads to uh, be engaged in discipling their children. Um, and, you know, with a lot of children, that, that can be challenging. And where do you find the time to do that? Uh, and what does it mean to spiritually disciple your children? I mean, we could talk about that for hours. But in our home, there's two things that I, I try to do. Number one is spiritually, we have a, a family devotion nearly every day, usually in the evening. And it's a time where we as a family come together and we open God's Word and we you know, read from it and we talk about it and we have an opportunity just to spend time usually after dinner um, together talking about Scripture and how it may apply to our lives. And that's very important, I think. Number two, uh, in terms of finding time with each child, um, you know, when we're out there doing different things, I, I try and take a child with me, one or two. And, you know, as busy as we are in, in these days, we've got to find time to maintain those relationships with our children and, of course, with our wives. And that's something that also we have to strive to do is to find time with them. So those are a few things I think that, you know, we homeschooling dads need to think about how we can support our wives physically and lead our families spiritually. Absolutely. And um, I couldn't agree with you more. And um, I think a lot of fathers might shy away from doing things like grocery shopping. But I have to admit that my husband is really good also at, at grocery shopping. And I think I read somewhere that husbands who do the shopping tend to spend less money than, than their wives do, than, than <laughs> women that do the shopping. <laughs> so, Well, I think that's, that's true in our house. <laughs> yes. Because yes. we only get what's on the list. That's right. They don't deviate. They don't. They don't go. Oh well, maybe I could cook such and such, or maybe we could do that. And um, you know, he he just uh, he does get he gets exactly what's on the list, and um, is very good at that. And we make do. We also make do with what he brings. If he forgets something, we just have to do without until grocery shopping the next week. We write it on on the list for the next week and, and remember to do that. Otherwise, you're back and forth to the store all the time. So, um, okay. So I was going to say that. Um, um, with I've noticed actually at our church that there are a lot of young people and teenagers um, who are in crisis. I mean, it happens to everybody, but I, I also notice in our church particularly. And um, I was reading a book by James Dodson, and um, I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, you know, if only I had read all about this when I was younger, and then I thought, well, perhaps I wouldn't have listened um, to all of that good advice because as kids you know we just have to go through those bad times to become the person that God wants us to be we have to you know make the mistakes we can't you know sort of let other people make those mistakes for us and um, do you think that um, having parents more available to their children for longer periods of time would make a difference to some of those children who are in crisis oh I don't think there's any question about that <laughs> um, you know how can you have a relationship with someone if you don't spend any time with them Exactly. You know, this idea that some people have that, you know, quali you've got quality time and then you've got quantity of time mm -hmm. is absurd. You know, you can't have quality without quantity. And, you know, that's one of the reasons many of us homeschool our children is so that we can have a chance to have those relationships with our children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, Mike, we're going, getting ready to have a break. When we come back from the break, we'll be talking about... Um, some of the legal issues that um, you, I know you've been dealing with because I've been watching sites. So uh, we'll be back in about 90 seconds. 
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Join Learning and Laughter with Louise every Wednesday at 9 Eastern, 8 a.m. Central on Toginet to discuss fun, fascinating, and educational topics. Each week, Louise will be talking with a variety of guests, ranging from authors, educators, parents, filmmakers, athletes, and entrepreneurs, just to name a few. You know, when it comes to learning, the sky is the limit. And so will the topics that are covered here on Learning and Laughter with Louise. Louise Sattler is a school psychologist who has worked within the fields of special education and bilingual education. She also owns a successful company, Signing Families that creates DVDs and special workshops to teach sign language and instructional products for people of all ages and needs. With new DVDs coming out soon, check her website for more information at signingfamilies.com. From time to time, Louise will be joined by her daughter, Natasha Sattler, who will give a college-age perspective to the show. So pour that morning cup of coffee and join us here on Toginet every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Central. You never know who will show up for Learning and Laughter with Louise on toginet.com. Let's chat it up with Bloom Talk with Barb Scarlock on Toginet. Thursday afternoons at 3 Eastern, 2 Central. And find out how women are growing, blossoming, and blooming in their friendships and careers, health, and so much more. It's Bloom Talk with Barb Scala. Check out our website, bloomwithbarb.com. Whether you want to transplant your life or just do a little pruning, Bloom Talk will inspire you to cultivate the lifestyle you want to live. Join lifestyle coach and co-author of Sanity Savers, Barb Scala, each week on Bloom Talk and sprout your dreams. Grow your life. I hear a lot from women. I want meaning in my life. I want a fulfilling life. I want to do something that's exciting. and I can control my life instead of my life controlling me. I can tell the world this is who I am and, and this is what I'm all about. Barb will introduce you to dynamic guests and real women who are redesigning, redesigning, building and reinventing their own lives and bloomstorm how you can dream create and grow the lifestyle you want to live it's bloom talk with barb scala thursday afternoons at three eastern two central on toginet.com welcome back to the sociable homeschooler with vivian mcninney the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's the Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet, part of the Her Insight Network. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Hello, I'm back, and my guest is Mike Donnelly. He's a, um, an attorney for HSLDA, but at the moment, he's got his dad hat on, and we're talking a little bit about um, being a father in the homeschool. Um, I meet some parents who say they really would love to spend more time with their children and maybe stay at home with them more. But, and they actually say that their jobs, that, no, that their families come first and their jobs are secondary and that their bosses are really good and flexible with them. But, you know, I can just see in their eyes the panic going on that they think, oh, my God, if I ever lost my job, what would I do? And so they do tend to put in those longer hours um, you know, what, what can we say to those, those poor parents or, or, you know, who desperately want to stay home, but they just can't let go of that job? Well, that's a very, can be a very difficult question. Uh, it really comes down to what's really most important for us as parents. And um, I, I would say, you know, we, can, we, we need to ask this question, what good is it if we gain the world, but we lose the souls of our children? And, you know, that doesn't mean that they're mutually exclusive. You can certainly, certainly can have a job and, and, and gain the hearts of your children and help direct them towards Jesus Christ. But, you know, when we send, if, we send, if we're sending our children off to the public school for six to seven hours a day, and then we, we're working eight to ten hours a day, and we come home exhausted, and we can barely put 
food on the table, barely get the errands done, you know, how in the world can we expect to gain the heart and keep the heart of our children and direct them to Jesus Christ? I, I just don't think that's, that's uh, realistic. And to then have a relationship with them to try to help guide them through those difficult times that they're going to experience, well, they may experience in their teen years. Not everybody has difficult times in their teen years, but many, you know, many children do. And it's a time of change for teenagers, so they need, they need that relationship, that confident relationship with their mom or their dad. Uh, and the only way you get that is if you're spending time with them. And there's no guarantee that even if you are spending time with them, you're going to get it either. Because, you know, as parents, we make mistakes and... Uh, you know, we just have to rely on the grace of God that, um, you know, he will work through us and in our families if we do the things that, you know, he's calling us to do. And financially, that can be difficult. Some of us are in situations where maybe we, we need the two incomes. Although in most cases, I think if we really looked at it carefully, we could probably figure out a way to do it. And there are many people who do. And that just means you have to make choices about maybe not getting some of the things you might otherwise want to get or living in a particular home or in a particular place or uh, having those big vacations or whatever it may be, but in the end, we have to kind of balance what's most important, and then we've got to put our actions where our heart is, and that really shows what's in our heart when we put our actions there. Yes, I, I think of my children as being, you know, a gift from God, and they're they're on loan, and I've got to look after them. I'm I've, I'm a steward, and I've really got to look after my children. And how how can I do that if I'm farming them out for other people to do that. And I just think that, uh, you know, the weekends and in the evenings is enough. It isn't. It's not enough. And, uh, well, it's, it's not it's enough, good. Vivian, and also because if you're farming them out to other places, for example, a public or a private school, uh, in particular the public schools where, you know, they're secular, they're humanistic, you know, you, you've got to work against those things. And that's difficult to do because when children, especially the teen years, go into that, that environment, they become very peer-dependent, and mm-hmm. it becomes very difficult uh, to 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 disciple them and, and have that relationship with them under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I know that um, we have a choice in America. We're blessed that at the moment we have a choice as to um, how we can um, raise our children. And um, we need to keep reminding ourselves of that. It's not an entitlement. It's something that people like you are working really hard um, to keep mm-hmm. that for us. But not all parents have that choice. And I was reading um, on the HSLDA site about a family in Sweden, the Johansons. Um, mm. Are you free? Are you able to talk a little bit about them? Sure, I can talk about Christopher and Annie. Okay. Tell us um, what happened. I know they were, what, what I read was that they were on their way. The, the um, authorities actually stopped them at the airport or got onto the plane, actually, and, and took their son away. And I think their son now has been away from them, separated from them for a year. This is, a, this is an incredibly mm-hmm. tragic situation. Um, and I've been, I've been working on this case since last September when I first heard about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Krister and Annie Johansson. Uh, Annie Johansson is from India. That's mm-hmm. where she's from. She and Krister were married, and they had a child, and they spent some time in India. Uh, and but they lived mostly in Sweden, which is where Dominic was born, their their little boy. Uh, and they decided that they wanted to go ahead and move back to Sweden. They were actually going to go and work with orphanages in the area where Annie is from. They had sold all of their belongings. They had their plane tickets. They had everything. In fact, they were on the plane. They were getting ready to leave Sweden when, to their shock and surprise, police officers actually came onto the plane that they were on and took their son. Why, one would ask. This couldn't mm-hmm. happen unless there was something really serious going on. Well, 
you know, I've, I've looked at this case, I've looked at the court documents, I've investigated it, and I can tell you there are three things that were going on, only one of which these people knew beforehand, and that was that the boy was being homeschooled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, in, in, the, in the weeks and months after this, as we investigated this and we asked what was going on, they said, well, we have to guarantee this child's right to an education. And that was what they relied on when they took the, took the little boy off the plane, which is just incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after that, they also discovered that Dominic had a couple of cavities in his teeth, and, he, and his parents had chosen not to vaccinate him. Mm-hmm. Um, and they used these as, as reasons to try to post-facto justify keeping him away from them. And in the months after this occurrence, which is just shocking, um, they only allowed the family to visit with this boy, with their, with their son, once every, first it was two weeks for an hour, and then after Christmas, when they weren't even allowed to see him at all, uh, they've only let him uh, visit with the parents once every five weeks for an hour. It, this is true. I'm not making this up. I am not kidding. Uh, you can find out about this on the Internet. In fact, there's a Facebook uh, web, a Facebook page that's been created called Return Dominic Johansson to His Parents or something like that. You can find it on Facebook. Uh, there's also a number of websites as well as information at our uh, uh, hslda.org website. Mm-hmm. And so this is in the context of Sweden uh, looking at passing a law that would dramatically crack down, if not altogether eliminate, homeschooling. Today, homeschooling is legal in Sweden, although it's not uh, a very frequent occurrence, but there are people who do it, and they can do it. There's a, it's legal. Mm-hmm. But if they pass this law, which they're looking at voting on here in about four weeks, it would become essentially outlawed, just like the situation in Germany. So it's a very tragic situation, and uh, uh, we are hopeful that there will be a change in it. We have gotten involved uh, legally. We've also uh, working with a, uh, a renowned European human rights attorney who has gotten involved in this case, uh, who is an outstanding human rights attorney in Sweden, and we're hopeful that we'll be able to make some change, but I can tell you that the social workers and the uh, local officials on this island of Gotland, Sweden, where all of this took place, have, have really dug their heels in, and, and they've really made a decision that they're going to keep Dominic away from his family uh, for as long as they possibly can. So where is Dominic living? Is he with a foster family? Yes, he's with a foster family, and he's actually on the same island um, of Gotland, which is a very large island off the coast of Sweden. Okay. Oh, that's... that. Well, apparently, though, it was a surprise that um, they were um, appointed this human rights lawyer, right? Well, that's true, actually, and it was, it was, it's very encouraging. In fact, I was actually just talking with her earlier today. Um, you know, she thinks the fact that she was appointed by the court is, is maybe a little bit of an encouraging sign that they're interested in seeing what happened in this case because the case has gained widespread media attention all over the world. Uh, and really, it's just shocking to think that the Swedish officials would do this for such inane reasons. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, initially they had appointed a local attorney, and then when the family said, no way, we don't want to have anybody on this island because, you know, they're all suspect, mm-hmm. the court turned around and really reversed itself to appoint this uh, human rights attorney, which we supported that, and we also had a number of of our members and friends contacting Swedish officials, which people can do if they're listening. They can go to our website at hslda.org slash Sweden, and mm-hmm. they can find contact information and 
they can write to these officials and ask them to return Dominic to his family. Well, yes, um, I will encourage everybody that listens to me to go ahead and do that, and I will put something on my um, webpage at the radio station about that. Tragic. I mean, I just can't imagine that. Um, it, it really now. is shocking. I mean, I talk about it, you know, like it's, you know, normal, but, it, you know, it's just, no. I mean, I've, I just can't believe it. And, I, and I'll tell you, you know, for those people listening who are looking for someone to pray for, you need to pray for this family. Yes. Uh, just imagine your only son taken away from you under those circumstances. Yes. It, it's it's like having your legs cut off. It's worse. Yeah. And she's and not doing very well, is she? Her health. She's not. No. no. Annie is not doing well. Um, and, you know, Krister is hanging on there trying to be strong for his wife uh, and to hang on and, and try to fight for, for this. But, you know, it's almost been a year. And just mm-hmm. can you imagine having your child kidnapped by your government, kept away from you, and essentially alienating the child from you intentionally to break up your family. Um, it's, it's unconscionable that such a thing could happen in a Western civilized nation. Absolutely unconscionable. Well, thank you for telling us about that. Um, we have probably about a minute and a half. I want you to give me a quick update on what's going on with the Ramikis because I, I see that ICE are involved. Can you tell us who they are? Well, ICE is Immigration and Customs Enforcement, a, a department within the Homeland Security Department, and they handle all the immigration matters. Uh, the, the basic rub of the Romica situation is we won asylum for them back in January, and then the government appealed it. And so we're in the process of putting together our briefs. Uh, the government has appealed it, so they'll be filing their brief in about a week, and then we'll be responding. And uh, we hope to have a decision from the Board of Immigration Appeals, which is the National Appellate Authority uh, for Immigration cases, and we hope to have an answer sometime by the end of the summer or early fall, uh, after which, depending on what happens, we'll either be going to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, or the government will have to decide whether they want to go to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, depending on who wins, to determine whether uh, the asylum grant is going to stand. Uh, And of course, the Romikis are, you know, they're doing well, uh, and they are hopeful, and we're hopeful, and uh, we think we've got a very good case, and we're hopeful that we're going to be able to win at this next level. Uh, but even if we don't, we're going to take it to the next level, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. All right. And they're able to still remain here in America and, and live until the That's final right. They're, they're living made. in Tennessee. They've bought a home, yeah. uh, and they're doing, they're doing quite well. Uh, although one of their children had a bike accident recently, which people oh. can pray about. He was mm-hmm. uh, seriously injured, but he's going to be all right. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, they're dealing with that and um, uh, you know, all of the rest of the things that go along with being an asylum seeker in America. Yeah. Well, Mike, I've come to the end of our time together. Thank you so much for talking to me. I have lots of other things that I wanted to ask you, but we'll have to wait till next time. So you have a great weekend. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Thank you, Vivian. God bless you. I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you. Bye. That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler. And we'll be right back after these. No more mommy madness. This Sanity Hour is the antidote. It's the Sanity Hour with Ann Dunnewald. Monday evenings at 6, 7 central. Part of the Her Insight Network on Toginet.com. Join Ann as she guides parents through issues that arise from simply living in our current high-energy, high-pressure culture of perfection and achievement. Moms and dads are bombarded daily. Sign up for this, buy that, enrich your child's life, enhance your child's development. Worry about this danger. Provide this experience. Ann Dunnewald, Ph.D., is here to help. She's a licensed psychologist in independent practice in Dallas, specializing in women's mental health issues. And her mission here is to help women sort out the guilt and anxiety of the unrealistic demand 
demands of motherhood on a daily basis. For more information on her and her books, go to AnnDunnewald.com. That's A-N-N-D-U-N-N-E-W-O-L-D.com. Arming women against the pressures of modern motherhood. Here to give moms balance and expectations. Cutting themselves some slack. It's the Sanity Hour with Ann Dunnewald. Monday evenings at 6, 7 Central. Part of the Her Insight Network on Toginet.com. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com. Com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet, part of the Her Insight Network. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, hello, I'm back. I was talking to Mike Donnelly of HSLDA, and as I said, um, go to his site, hslda.org um, slash Sweden, to find out more about the Johansons. Um, this weekend, all of my children are away, a dead time before the summer musicals start. Blooming Grove, a small town, well, so we've got about 800 people, north of Fort Worth, beckons my barista child. Her friend has horses, and one of the mares gave birth a week ago, so she's going to play with a foal. I'm jealous. She's going to ride horses, muck out stables, work on a ranch, and do all the country stuff I'd love to do. I asked her what the happening thing to do for young people on Saturday nights in Blooming Grove was, and she said, hang out at Walmart. Yoo-hoo! Oh, no, that's a jazzercise shout. Let's try. Yee-haw! Oh, and I see I've got Malia on the phone. Hi, Malia. Hi, Mom. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Did you get there okay? I got here fine. It was pouring with rain my whole way down here. Oh, it was? Yeah. I hope, I hope, did you hydroplane? I didn't. Nope. Good. I had both hands on the wheel. It was good. Good, 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 good. good. <laughs> How did your final go? Um, my final was good. There were a lot of people there, new people that I hadn't seen, too. Um, and I had this girl in my class recorded it for me, so you can see okay. that later. Oh, good. Well, Malia just did a musical theater final. And um, she had to sing a heart song. And um, I guess they all had to sing songs. And she dressed up. She looked absolutely stunningly gorgeous. But we couldn't go and see it. So I asked her to record it for me. So did everybody sing a song? Everyone did. Some people messed up their songs and forgot lyrics and stuff. So it was fun. Yeah, yeah. So did you, <laughs> have you seen the fold yet? I have, yeah. But it's raining and muddy and stuff. So we only saw her in the stable. Oh, did you take your wellies? No, I should did have. You- yeah, yeah. Well, say hi to Margaret for me and tell her to look after you, and you have a great weekend. I'll see you on Monday. I will. You too. Thanks for, thanks for calling. Bye. Of course. Bye. Bye. Well, that was my daughter. She always calls when she arrives somewhere, so she thought she'd call me. 
on my show. That was very sweet of her. And um, this week was finals week. So we all had to walk around the house quietly so as not to disturb our madly studying students. I think the two girls wondered why, when they'd studied all semester, they suddenly seemed to have so much work to do to complete the semester. Last-minute essays, extra credit papers and events, practice sessions, food to make for parties, recitals to participate in, not to mention mandatory parental attendance at all the performances for us. So good job I worked hard with them to manage their time. No one had to stay up until the wee hours, or at least not to study. Husband and I attended our youngest recital last week, and there really was a beginner's class there, ballet class there, that reminded me of a spoof. I leaned over to my handsome Texan, who had removed his cowboy hat for the occasion and placed it on the floor between us, remember this, and said, they're only pretending to be that bad. It's a takeoff of La Trocadero. You know who they are? They're a classical ballet company of men from San Francisco, actually. I need to add that in who can dance seriously and beautifully as women on point, but they also do some hilarious moves, make clever mistakes and perform amazing leaps at all the wrong times. You don't have to know your ballet to appreciate them, but it's funnier if you do. But anyway, I had my camera at the ready to record my daughter's dance. And when she'd finished, the audience applauded and I, uncharacteristically, stood up and said into the camera microphone, well, you were the only one worth watching. And the boy in front of me, wearing his cowboy hat, yelled to my daughter as she bowed, took his hat off, and with a flourish he cheered, hit me on the head, causing me to lose my balance and stumble onto, yup, hubby's cowboy hat that was between us, now flattened by my plates of meat. Sorry, Roy. Talking of cowboys, I have some stamps featuring famous TV cowboys. I love to go on the USPS website. The selection is much better than our bad-tempered little post office down the road. Some of the panes are collector's items in our house. I bought my oldest son, for example, a Star Wars, well, he's a Star Wars fan. I bought him a sheet of Yoda stamps, which he's framed. And these cowboys actually will make a fine gift for my brother, who's a Western file. Listen to this. He learned a couple of Indian languages while he was reading American history at Cambridge. Reading means majoring in, in English. The stamp cowboys are Gene Autry, William Hart, Roy Rogers, and Tom Mix, and are really silver screen cowboys. The post office has cannily put a little bio on the sheet backing so that we can read all about them. The other mandatory performance was the musical theatre class. The class was an introduction to callbacks, and everyone in it had to learn songs and dances from a different show each week. Hours of work and butterflies went into the auditions because they covered about 14 musicals. In our house, we were treated to songs from Oklahoma, Chorus Line, Charlie Brown, Hairspray, 42nd Street, and many more. Shower time became Broadway moments to remember. Our concrete floor amplified the happy tapping of feet. We had a most entertaining evening watching the review. We love to support the talented young people in the drama department for working hard and for the most part, making the right choices. Hey, they're still young. They're not ready to completely listen to their wiser parents. Unfortunately, and it will go down in the book of things my siblings did or did not do to let me down, we were the only family members who attended her events. Whether we got extra brownie points because of this remains to be seen. After all, we are the parents, not the children. I was also able to record my oldest daughter practicing her karate epons for her final. No spectators allowed for the real thing. 
She'd asked me to drive her to her last practice session with her EPON partner. And sneakily, I wasn't going to pass up the opportunity to take my camera. And she cautioned me to bring not to bring it into the dojo with me. Luckily, her partner gestured for me to bring the camera and record, giving me the thumbs up and a big smile. This is the daughter who used to freeze when it was parent observation day at the ballet studio. She'd cry real tears when she heard we were planning on coming to watch her and then not dance when she saw us peeking around the corner or trying to capture her on film through the studio mirror. The other night at the dojo, however, she was marvellous. All her inhibitions had gone. She was a delight to watch and her feet are now deadly weapons. My younger son is going to fulfill a dream he's had since graduating from college last May. He's gone to Colorado. He's gone for a long weekend instead of for months, as he had unwittingly planned last year, until the parents got involved in the scheme. Did I tell you? Once he graduated from college, he was going to drive up to Colorado, live in his car, and rough it so that he could climb, climb, climb. And how much money had he saved to do this harebrained thing? Nothing. He was so angry with us for being sensible. And were we justified? Well, heck yes. Who would have got stuck with the mechanics bill if anything had gone wrong with his car slash house? Who would have paid the medical bills if the rock sent him tumbling down? Don't you just hate the sensibles we fall into when we're no longer fun-loving students and dependents? Although he loves animals and his zoo job will satisfy that and pay the bills, he does have a life passion. It stems from the first time he climbed a rock wall on the Strip in Las Vegas. I, yep, I'm totally to blame, had seen people shinnying up this 60-foot rock face and thought, huh, my son could do that. At 12 years old, he didn't disappoint mum, who knows him better than anyone else, and he reached the top effortlessly, rang the bell and belayed himself into the world of rock climbing. He spent most of his free time, or more accurately, he spent most of his time at A&M in College Station at the Rock Hall where he worked, set routes and competed on the college team. So he naturally concluded with his degree in his hand that he'd take the rock climbing world by storm, beginning with Colorado and a zero dollar bank balance account. He had to think again and belay himself into the, into the real world. One year later, with a job tucked under his belt, He's trying again, this time with less time on his hands, but more money in the bank. Though he hates to spend the money for four days, I've told him to make up his own mind since it's his expense. I half expected him to back off when we didn't offer to go halvesies with him. But he went on a plane. I'm sure he'll have a good weekend with his friends and their couch. The beer is ready. Yay! 48 bottles of beer. A dark, stout-like Guinness is sitting in one of my closets ready to drink. Well, actually, some of it has already been drunk and it's delicious. Of course, I think so. It is my favorite beer. Now I'm trying to get my son to make a blonde beer so that the equipment can be freed up for hubby and me to make champagne, which takes a long time, but is an is another of my favorites. Mm. Talking about wines, Mother's Day, my Aggie son bought me another bottle of port. This one is good with chocolate and other sweet, creamy foods. I told him we could drink it after show 20. I can't wait. Well, let me see here. I have something else that I was going to share with you. I don't quite know how much time I have. I have a few moments, I know. 
All right. Teaching is something that we picture being done to us, and learning is something that we do for ourselves. Um, at home, we teach our children either by lecturing them or by encouraging them to experiment and find out for ourselves. My son had a wonderful chemistry teacher at his community college who was writing a book with a team of professors. She invited eight students to be in her class, and she selected them through an interview process. She was obviously impressed by my son's answer to her question, why do you think you should be in my class? Well, because I love learning, he replied. And she didn't lecture them. They had a foundation in chemistry from high school, and she encouraged them through questioning and hands-on activities to build on their existing knowledge. Of course, she knew more than they did and answered their questions, but if they had a problem, she didn't solve it for them. This is not an easy way to teach. It takes a lot of restraint on the part of the teacher and a lot of involvement on the part of the student, but it does work. Uh, does it work in large classrooms? Does it work at home? The philosophy of teaching and learning through discovery is different, but not new. Look at the ancients. Socrates used carefully designed questions to draw information from his students to make them think for themselves. Oftentimes at school, a child is told that learning is separate from living. We can close that gap by bringing our children home to learn and by involving them in our real lives. Well, I've come to the end of another hour for another week. It's been brilliant and I'm off to relax and make some lemon curd tarts for my daughter's the British Empire meeting tomorrow. My boys had to renege on my Mother's Day treat last weekend, so my oldest is taking me out on Sunday to TGI Fridays, where he knows a few people and spends some evenings socialising. He says he wants to show me off. So goodbye until next week, and thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, Stacey Cannonberg and her Insight Network, the staff at Togginet Radio, my guest, Mike Donnelly, all my listeners, especially St. John's and Teresa, thanks for tea time. Thanks, Malia, for calling and telling me you'd arrive safely. Next week, I'll continue with my co-op theme. And don't forget to listen to Anne Dunnewald on Mondays at 7 p.m. on the Sanity Hour and call her with your mad, bad money moment, mummy moment. Happy Easter once again, and I'll see you next week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Tokyo.